0: I'm Monty Beatham with episode 30 of Once a Warrior, the final one for 2022. Joining me today is the mastermind behind the early success in the 2000s for the Warriors. Mick Watson, thanks for your time, my man. Good morning, Monty. How are
1: you? Very good, brother. Uh, where are you and uh, what are you up to these days? But I live in the South Island, a little town called Mount Summers, which is near Mount Hunt, uh on a, on a little farm, my wife, living the quiet life.
0: <laughs> uh, living the quiet life. Um so, besides that, because I know you're not always about the quiet life, uh, you're doing a little bit with the uh, insurance
1: company, running it, Well, you do well. Yeah, I'm the head of, head of operations for Newey Insurance New Zealand, and uh, I mean, that keeps me busy. Certainly not like rugby league, that's for sure.
0: Mick, normally people come to the club because they want to come to the club, it's off their own back, but you came to the club through different circumstances. You were trying to help out a friend, and that friend is a very well-known friend, Matthew Ridge. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so Richie used to work for me at Pepsi. Um, back then, Pepsi was a major sponsor of Manly Seagulls. And, uh, you know, Manly used the uh, various ways, I guess, to beat the salary cap. And uh, uh, Matthew worked for me at Pepsi, uh, one of the worst employees you'll ever have, as, he, as you can imagine, knowing him, uh, Monty. But So when he was invited by Eric Watson in to come and become a shareholder of the Warriors, he reached out and uh, asked me to, um, you know, for my opinion on marketing and sponsorship and also the coaching program, they were looking <coughs> to recruit um, Bob Fulton or Mal Meninga because they were recruitment coaches. Uh, so I ended up writing a paper for him to, make, to, to fundamentally to make him go away because he was so annoying. Uh, and uh, and that included the choice between um, Wayne Bennett's assistant, which was Craig Bellamy, and Daniel Anderson, who was Brian Smith's assistant. Daniel had just won a reserve grade premiership. And actually, Daniel and I had a close association. Uh, Daniel and I had actually... we coached a team... Um, back in the uh, late 90s uh, after I finished playing in South Sydney. And so we knew each other extremely well. We went to the same school uh, and we liked the same brand of rugby league. So we, we had a close association. So uh, I presented those, uh, those guys to Ridgie in a hope that he'd go away and, uh, and, uh, and I presented it to both Matthew and Eric. And at the end of that, uh, you know, Eric stood up and shook my hand and said, I've got myself the new CEO. Welcome aboard. It wasn't the
0: the, the glam, and it wasn't the, what you were used to in terms of, uh, you know, the corporate world. It was totally different, Mac. Like you had to start from scratch, absolute scratch.
1: If I'd have known what I was walking into, I wouldn't have accepted the job. So the the first day I went into the the Warriors, um, there was there was nothing. It was a shell. Um, there were there was literally there was no footballs uh, for day one, and that was the first thing I walked in. Daniel said, "We've got nothing that." The place had been stripped bare uh, by who I'm not entirely sure. So uh, we walked in and we had to make our own, we had to make our own money. We had no members, no sponsors, no revenue, no working capital. So it was an incredible journey in the way that we we actually had to build it ourselves. And that meant we'd work all day during the day, trying to work out exactly how we're going to build a club. And then at night, Daniel Andless and I would sit at the kitchen table and we'd be ringing England while you guys were playing in the World Cup, Monty, trying to sign you guys back to the club.
0: And that's the thing, right? White. You, when you finally get the job, the position, how do you build your first squad?
1: The, the main goal was we thought if we signed Stacey Jones, we can build a team around Stacey Jones. So that became our pinnacle. You know, that was imperative that we get Stacey. Once we got Stacey, things started to move in place. But Daniel and I would sit there every night with the whiteboard and we'd look at what we had in New Zealand and what the Warriors had done Previously, and to be quite frank, Mark Graham and previous management had done a good job in setting up a really great institution of young fellows coming through, like yourself, like Clinton Torpey, Su Sioux, Francis Melly, Henry Fafelli. So those players need to be retained, and then we needed to get our marquee signing, which was Stacey Jones. But when we looked at the mix and the way that we wanted to play and the way that Daniel wanted to build the, um, the roster, we knew we needed more than that. We needed a blend, a blend of experienced players, of those 100-game veterans to underpin the style of football that we wanted to play. And uh, and that was going to be more challenging. I was actually off trying to talk to Kevin Walters and Michael Hancock. And uh, obviously the Brisbane Broncos were the pinnacle back then. And I was calling them, talking to their managers, speaking to them. Daniel and I were having slaughtering a chicken chow men at the, uh at the dinner table one night. And the phone rang, my phone rang. And the guy on the other end of the phone said, is that, is that Mick Watson? I said, yes. He said, it's Wayne Bennett. And, you know, I was literally with chopsticks eating and, and pulled the phone away and said, you know, Wayne Bennett, as is. And I was like, whatever, mate. And he, he was like, um, pardon? I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I thought, I actually thought it was one of our friends uh, or someone pranking me. And the guy went on and said to me, you're not going to get Michael Hancock or Kevin Walters. They won't play against me. And uh, and it suddenly dawned on me very quickly. This was actually Wayne Bennett that was speaking to me. But what he did say in that conversation was, who i never, I really hadn't heard much about Kevin Campion. He said, I'll, I'll get you Kevin Campion. And I, I looked across and pulled the phone away and said to Ando, he wants to give us Kevin Campion, and and ando was literally throwing things at me, going, "Yes, yes, that's that's how we signed Kevin Campion is actually a gift from Wayne Bennett." So so Kevin Campion was the first Domino. Obviously, Daniel had a relationship with Mark Tukey, who had also been with Parramatta. Um, we wanted to sign Richard Villasanti, and then and then the last piece of the puzzle, we were looking at a back, um, a centre three quarter. We were actually in the process of looking at Craig Innes. We were looking at players that had, again, that hundred-game experience because because we couldn't speak to Ivan Cleary, his manager Wayne Beavis, wouldn't allow us to get to him. And I was in the I was in my office one day actually in a coffee in the lounge, and uh, and Ivan walked in in a pair of shorts, and he thought <laughs> he thought I was the decorator because the office was being painted, and he said to me, Hey mate, do you know uh, do you know I could find the the CEO and I was like, "Well, that's me." <laughs> and he sat down. We talked, and I said, "Mate, I'll I'll, I'll put together a contract." And, th- and this is a true story. Ivan stuck his hand out and said, no, that's our contract, mate." And and that's where the deal was done in in, uh, in the office. So I think the last player to form that group was actually Logan Swan. Uh, and once we had that, we had a, We had a first grade team ready to go to Canterbury for our first trial. And we uh, we achieved all this in eight weeks, mate. We only had eight weeks, which was uh, it's it's unbelievable to think of
0: now. If you think about Ando, Kempi, Reggie for a young man coming in and having those guys around you in your ears, I mean they complemented each other so well. Uh, The strengths of those three.
1: Yeah, look, the thing is, it really complemented each other. Daniel Anderson was a um, was a schoolteacher by trade, so he was a disciplinarian by trade. And so, he, 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 you know, there was always probably going to be that, that gap of authority, if that makes sense. What Tony Kemp did do was he provided a, a voice of the people, a voice of the players to Daniel, a representative, a conduit uh, between the two. Um, he, he, he was a, He's just freshly retired himself. He understood the players' perspective. He was a wonderful assistant coach. Matthew's a great player, one of New Zealand's greats, won a premiership himself. He knew what it took to win. And um, and so everything that Daniel did, Matthew was there to temper, um, run his eye over, and also I think he gave a he gave a no frills approach to the players, like what wouldn't be accepted. And I think the thing that these days that, that gets washed over uh, Monty is that we were all like I was thirty five, Daniel was thirty five, Matthew was thirty five, Kempi was around the same age. I think he was you know around thirty five. You know, Eric Watson was only 45, and, and they were the people running the club. We were we were so young. Um, so the players could relate to that, and they could relate to our mindset.
0: What we lacked in money uh, back then, you made up for leadership and motivation, and that's something that strikes me of you, even to this day. Where did a young 35-year-old, Michael, get that from? Because you were a mastermind of that.
1: I was very passionate, and I'd played rugby league, obviously, lower grades with Parramatta and South Sydney. And thought that at times that they they had it wrong, um, that they didn't actually let the players speak, that they didn't go to the players. So I think, you know, it's it's, it's much easier if you become a collaboration. I would call the players in, uh, Kevin Campion, Ivan Cleary, uh, yourself, Monty Beetham, Stacey Jones, Arwen Gutenbill, um, and then eventually in the next year, PJ Marsh. And talk about other clubs, talk about other instances, talk about what the players want. Um, and try and build a collaboration. So not, not to be uh, managing down and telling everyone this is the way it's going to be. It was more managing up and saying, what do you want? How can we do that?
0: You know, when you think about the first time we made the playoffs in 2001, the squad that you put together, uh, what were the keys to, to making the finals for the first time? Was it the brand of foot we, we, we played? And where did that come from? What, what we wanted to see
1: was a, a dominant forward pack uh, of hard, relentless uh, players minimising mistakes, big on defence. And then our, our, our offence game, really, the ball either went, uh, you know, to Stacey or to Arlie. Uh, and then you guys were encouraged to do whatever whatever you want in a certain passage in certain periods of the field. But but first of all, we were tough. We were going to play a brand of football that was confrontational, hard steel, hard, ferocious defensive team. Uh, we're the toughest guys in the NRL, in my opinion. You went out there fearless. And actually, I think the the players' poll is always something that everyone loves in Rugby League. For those first two years, the players rated the Warriors the most feared pack in the competition. Kevin Campion, the most feared player in the competition. And then, of course, he handed that mantle down to you as well. So we were feared. And in those first three years, the Warriors were the most feared team. When you talk about key moments, the night we beat the Brisbane Broncos, uh, and uh, Logan Swan scored that barnstorming try. Stacey Jones dropped the field goal. And I remember I, I, I leapt out of the box and I, I, I pulled open the, the coach's door and Daniel Anderson, he was so humble, man. <laughs> How humble was he? He just, he looked at me and went, I don't know, you know, just like that. But as you players, as we all know, we actually put that down and we talked about beating the Broncos the whole time and Kevin Campion wanted to beat them. And, and so getting to the playoffs... The problem with year one we came up against a red-hot Parramatta team that actually should have won the premiership in our first finals playoff and we didn't we never spoke in, about anything beyond that did we 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 just spoke about we got to make the finals and we made the finals and of course we bow, we we bowed out and i think the worst loss in, in our history
0: <laughs> um the last day of 2001 when we left to break up for the year you called me into your office and said um, you're going to be the captain next year, and I just laughed this off because we we're in the playoffs for the first time. We had co-captains of Stacey Jones, Kevin Campion. Well, what were you thinking,
1: mate? Yeah, I think that we wanted we wanted we wanted to build for the future. You know, we had a long-term view. Um, you were a natural leader. You're the most natural leader I've ever met, mate, and probably the best Warriors captain in my opinion that, that we ever had. Uh, and the thing about it was, you you'd captain every team. You were a natural leader. You led from the front at training. Riggie thought that. He played with you. He knew you. Um, I could see that from our conversations. You were, uh, you know, you were a, you were a rugby league straight-A student, if that made sense. Everything that you did, you talked about um, the club, the betterment of the club. And that's not, that's not nothing against Stace and Kevin, but obviously Kevin was there to help us build the club. And, you know, he's coming to the end of his career. We also believe that Stacey was the marketing player and needed to be left alone to play his rugby league. You know, so it was. It was the way. Again, it comes back to that brand of football that we wanted to play. Um, and so, although it may have been in your eyes premature, uh, to us it was. It was a natural decision. And I, I think, even though you you had in, you know, a, a, a dreadful injury in two thousand two, mate, you still led the club, and that includes when we started two thousand two. You know, that was I can still remember that day, um, and you had. Kevin Campion's premiership rings with you and showed the team and told the team, we want to get one of these ourselves and we won't be happy until you guys were wearing a ring of your own. And uh, and I, I truly believe that was the start of the journey for 2002, which was, you know, <laughs> it was a beautiful journey. It just finished a little bit short. Uh, it was a great year. What were your memories of 2002? Mate, probably my greatest memory of 2002 was we were going to play the Sharks in the prelim final. And uh, we were playing in the obviously in Sydney. Uh, Sharks don't have a great fan base, Warriors have a very small fan base. And both the NRL and us were worried that it was just going to be Sharks fans and no one else there for us. So, after speaking to David Gallup, we, uh, we came up with an idea where we would actually purchase 20,000 tickets from the NRL. Uh, and Vodafone actually helped us do that. They're great sponsors in Tim Miles. So Tim and I worked together to achieve that. And then what we did was we actually came up with the concept of giving away uh, four tickets to every Kiwi passport holder that turned up on the Monday morning at the SFS. Maybe we had 10,000 people turn up out the front. And come the Sharks game, it was like an Ericsson home crowd. There was fifteen or 20,000 people. There it was jam-packed full of Warriors. And, of course, you know, the great, the great 50-metre run down the sideline by Clinton Torpey, Playing the ball on the line, and then the greatest man of all time. When everyone thought that Stacey Jones uh, was going to do one thing, and he pulled a rabbit out of his hat, put the ball through for John Carlaw. Next thing you know, we are in the grand final. And we got We got a, I think they 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 radiated through to the plane to say the guys won't be going home very quickly. There's ten thousand people at the airport, and we were just like, well, you know, we couldn't believe it. What What are you talking about? What do you mean? That was unbe- that was outrageous. That was unbelievable. Um, the home, home final against the Raiders, uh, incredible. That was just an incredible moment. And I think, to be honest, I think the Raiders got, got bullied out of that game by the crowd. Um, we, you know, we just, we just, we were in cruise mode all the way through because everything was just, everything was just perfect. You know, actually the Prime Minister was sitting in our box and it was just like, I think for that moment we held New Zealand in our hand and New Zealand held the Warriors in their heart. And that was, that was amazing for rugby league, right? I think, um, you know, obviously uh, the minor premiership, the JJ Gilman Shield and seeing you guys hold that, it's one of the most precious memories. And unfortunately, that's the silverware that we've got uh, to show for that year. And so when you look at what that team achieved that year, it really, I don't know, it's going to be very hard to repeat, I think, and mm. find that magic again.
0: I often watched on the field some of the absolute brilliance that we had um, in terms of the players out on my left, out on my right, through the middle. Uh, which were the players and, and what did you yeah, love about these particular players that you'll never forget?
1: Oh, mate, I loved them. Look, I'm, everyone knows that. Everyone used to call my office a shrine. Um, obviously, I, I loved the tough men. Um, so, you know, uh, Jerry C uh Kevin Campion, Arwen Gutenberg and yourself. So the tough players I loved. Um, and the uh, and the tough moments I loved. I mean, so you know the, the Kevin Campy and Shane Webke fight. Uh, you know when you you took on the Broncos pack yourself, uh, you and inevitably Ar- Arwen backing you up, and what, what was that uh, back row from the Bulldogs of Breeden and you in Wellington, uh, mate. I-, I love those moments. I guess I'm a bit of a dinosaur like that, but we don't play that. We don't see that sort of football and. You know that's the rugby league that I love—the the brutality of it—and I hate to admit it, but I guess maybe there's a bit of um, Reg Reagan in me. There's those those those, those punch-ups—I um, don't know—you can't go past those moments yeah. as a rugby league fan. And at the end of the day, I'm just a rugby league fan. That left-hand edge of Alilaiotiti, um, Sione uh Clinton Torpy, Francis Melli—that mate—if you came up any team that came up against that, got dominated. Oh, creative geniuses, um, freaks with the ball in their hands, some of the tries that the Warriors scored during that period. Now bring in Brent Webb um, as a post line runner. I mean, literally, if anyone got their nose through the line, uh, Webby was there to take the ball. Um, the birth of, of Lance Hire as a first grade footballer at what, I don't know, 18, straight out of high school. Modu um, Tony, broken play runner. Um, PJ Marsh, obviously. Uh, Stacy jones you know, was uh, was really competing with Andrew Johns as the greatest player in rugby league then. You know, him and Andrew Johns competed each other with innovation as far as the banana kick, the corkscrew, these kicks going out. They were freaky, you know, the, the torpedo bombers came in and all these things, these innovative things. And they've gone again from the game. They just came in for a couple of years. And Stacey was at the forefront as a master of uh, creativity. John Carlaw, the consummate professional, right, just... Just doing all the little things that people didn't understand. Um, the fans fell in love with the club and the players at a new, a new dynamic. We grew our fan base and suddenly we were New Zealand's team and as a business we were profitable. So from the NRL we tipped every box. Um, we, we had a real pride in the way that we played. We had a real pride in the way that we saw each other and I think that made for a very for a very proud club in those first three years.
0: 2003, uh, I'll bring that up because, you know, we're one game off, we're in the preliminary final as well, but your memories of that game?
1: Mate, to be quite, if I'm being quite frank, I remember sitting in the stands after we lost to Penrith in the final and I was in shock. I just thought we were on exactly the same pathway. We are about to win that game, go to the grand final and win the grand final in our second attempt. We could debate it so many different ways. The, the, the thing that always, sticks in my mind, was what would have happened? Did we let Campo and Ivan go one year too early? Did we Should we have kept them for one more year? Because, you know, Kevin went up to um, the Cowboys. He still played good football up there, you know, for the next couple of years. And, you know, Ivan probably... So there's, there's always that. There's that's firstly, what would that have done? And would we have, would we have continued 2002 if we had the veterans still there? I think we did everything... Exactly the same as 2002. I think we played, in some ways, some, some better passages of football. I think we'd grown as a club. I think that we matured as, a, um, you know, as, as managers. You know, I think the coaching staff had matured, management had matured, leadership had matured. Um, you know, the Kiwis were playing good football. There was, a, there was a hell of a lot happening in Rugby League. The Bartokar Cup had improved. I thought we were on our way to, you know, a form of dynasty. So after 2003, I think that we... We fundamentally made some mistakes because we started to change. We hadn't had any change up to then. We also hadn't really suffered loss or adversity. You know, all we'd had is finals football. And we just thought we'd continue to go down that path. The problem was we weren't as focused. So I started to work on other projects, such as boxing promotions through our um, our boxer, our professional boxer, Shane Cameron, the Mountain Warrior. And we were also having conversations with the International Rugby League Board about creating a team Pacifica and running that out of um, out of State in, in conjunction with Samoa. So we were, you know, I was off. I spent the whole off season over in London, over in Samoa, having discussions with them, um, setting up fights for Shane, and that was the uh, the end of um, the way that we conducted ourselves and the way we ran things. We were running things a certain way, and we moved on, and uh, the rest is inevitable.
0: You gave us a lot of special times um, and one special moment in particular, which was, you know, a bit of um, thought out of the box perhaps, and that was the 19th Warrior, Sir Peter Leach. Um, a wonderful moment. Yeah. That is a wonderful gesture. Talk to me about that and how you came to that.
1: Well, he's a special man. And, and when I first landed there, I'd never heard, I would never—I was Australian. I'd never heard of the man, Butcher, And everyone was saying, Matthew Ridge in was saying, as we were building programs and building marketing, he was like, oh, you need to you need to speak to the mad butcher and I'm like I don't understand what a mad butcher was and then he he, he came to uh, he came to meet with me and he was humble and he was gracious and and so I went away to, to Peter and said do you want to do you want to be the channel manager for the club and he was just like oh, mate, I'll, I'll do anything for the club that'd be fantastic the first the first trip away we um, you know I think it was it was like literally we, we were in a hotel room it was, the team meeting was at nine. You know, our first breakfast our very first trip away, and there was a knock on my door at, at five thirty in the morning, and I, I got a, you know, it was in a hotel room. I got a fright, and I went to the went to the door, and I looked through the door, and then you know, you get that long, elongated look, and, and there was someone in the and they were shaving, in the and I opened the door up, and the butcher came through and grabbed me by the front of the shirt, and he said, hey, "You listen here, mate. You may be the boss when you're at home, but I'm the boss here, right?" And I was like, "Okay, sure." And he said, so you, if you're late, if you're late down there for breakfast, you'll have me to answer for. I said, mate, it's not for three and a half hours. And he said, right, now get up and get ready. <laughs> and then he closed the door and I was like, like he's he's mad. And the other story that quickly that I'll tell is when I, and I always say that this is Peter Leach, when I realized that he was I I don't know if he was mad or just the, the greatest character in the sport, We were down in Coogee Bay and I went down to the pub for a quick beer as we we got off the plane one day and he had a rolled-up big league and was walking through the streets and yelling out through the big league, the Warriors are in town, the Warriors are in town. No-one knew who he was, you know. He would promote the game like no-one ever made. He would turn up to games um, with beautiful little children that had to face incredible adversity under difficult conditions. And he, the love that he gave the people, the children, the game and the players and the club, I, I just, I can't even, mate, have you ever thought, could you ever think of anyone more worthy that should have a player's number on their back oh. that didn't play? So to me, it was a natural that he was the 19th warrior. So we retired that number from the club.
0: Mick, once a warrior, always a warrior. Uh, we thank you for your integral part you played in, you know, creating some of the most iconic moments and some of the most iconic players in the club's history, my man.
1: Mate, I just I played a small role, and it was just really great to be involved, mate, and great to know fantastic people like yourself. Thank you very much.
0: I'm Montebetham. I want to thank the legends that have come on the show to give us their time and their stories. The insight has been amazing, and you, the people at home, that have given us your support throughout the year.